Church, I confess, it's been years, I think, since I felt a little nervous standing in front of people. Just then, I think I felt, I mean, can I explain? The mouth of an extroverted four-year-old is slightly unpredictable. I think I felt that just then for a few minutes. (laughs) That's true. Well, we are continuing our journey through the Bible. If you've been reading along, I want to continue to challenge you to persevere. Uh, Sometimes in sections like this, it can be hard. For those of you who just read this last week, you know what I'm talking about. It is Uh, It is a hard section to read through, and I want to challenge you to continue to read God's Word. Every piece of it, every word in it is vitally important to us. And you may say, how does this thing really matter for my life? And what we need to do is trust the revelation of God from beginning to end. It was given to us over a certain amount of time in a certain order to build a certain understanding of who God is and who he's called us to be. And so if you're behind, don't, don't panic. Just pick back up where we're at today and start reading with us today. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, right outside these doors on our app, on the website, if you go to the story, you can get a reading plan. And we as a church have been reading through the Bible over the course of the year. If you're not in a study group, there's a great study group at both hours that follows along with this historical narrative and goes a little bit more in-depth and really kind of covers a historical overview. Feel free to jump in that study group at any time. But prioritize the study of God's Word in your life. And so this morning we find ourselves in uh, introduced to a new person in our Bible reading, the King Solomon. And I'm going to go ahead and give you a few disclaimers before we begin. If this sounds repetitive, like you've heard this sermon before, uh, you have. (laughs) You have. When we look at Solomon, we're going to, for the first time, actually kind of get ahead in a reading. We haven't been doing that. Most of the time, we're behind one week. This week, we're going to look ahead into Solomon, and we're going to chase the idea of wisdom, which is directly connected to Solomon. Solomon authored two of the wisdom books we see that are there in um, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, places we turn to the Bible to learn a lot about wisdom, its value, and to learn from the man that God's Word says was the wisest man to ever live. And if you remember last year, we had a teaching series that also went through the book of Proverbs, much about wisdom. And so we believe in repetition. That's good. So we're going we're gonna to keep building on those truths. And, and so you might, you might be reading through some of this and go, man, I've heard that. That's good. You might recognize some familiar notes, but don't check out. Don't check out. One of the things that we're going to learn this morning and review this morning is wisdom is like a treasure. Man, it is something we should sell everything we have to pursue that thing. And so I ask that you as a listener this morning seek after not my words but the word of Scripture, this idea of wisdom as if I am offering you a billion dollars. It is a treasure. By the way, if we all listened to sermons that way, it would be a lot more interesting, wouldn't it? If we fought for it with that kind of a passion. Second thing I want to kind of remind us of is that when we look at wisdom, we will both see it in our position and 
who we are in Christ, but we will also talk a great deal about the pursuit of wisdom. And in our culture, we have oversteered probably a little bit in our generation. There was a time, especially in our area, in our culture, maybe a generation or or two ago, that we really struggled with this idea of legalism, that we continue to exalt just practices and culture to the point of Word of God, and we made these things absolute, and we chased that. And I believe in a very good way our culture is swinging away from that, but we're also swinging so far into grace and so far into our freedoms in Christ that we are seeing them as a license to do nothing. That if anyone stands before you and challenges you to work, to pursue, to strive, we are quick to kind of call that legalism, or we're quick to call that something works-based. And what I want you to understand is if you have that view, I don't know what you're doing throughout your Old and New Testament. Because page after page, you are called to pursue the Word of God. You're called to live a holy life with very specific detail. You are called and challenged to live out something, to practice something, to put on something, to do something. And to do it well. To do it in the pursuit of the holiness of God, which is a perfect standard. Now, we know we can do nothing apart from the power of Christ. We get that. He is the power source and the one who changes us, the one who does the work. But we also must read Scripture and understand that it is good to be challenged to pursue. So this isn't the sermon that just says, now guys, do better. But it is the sermon that calls us to pursue with all of the longing that we can muster up. Because when we see wisdom, we must see it as a treasure worthy of our greatest pursuits. And so, 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3 is where we'll be this morning. And then we're going to bounce around throughout the Proverbs. By the time we get to 1 Kings chapter 3, we find Solomon, now the king of Israel. But it was not an easy journey, and it was not um, something that we will look at Solomon pre-1st Kings chapter 3 and say, now that's a wise guy who's got it in line. In fact, when we look at 1st Kings chapter 3, we follow chapter 2, which basically looks like Solomon has hired an assassin to take out all of the people who might oppose him. One of those people were his older brother who thought he should be king and very kind of overtly tried to claim the kingship twice. And after the second time, Solomon has him killed, along with many others in chapter 2. And so we follow out of that. Then we get into the first few verses of chapter 3. And in verse 1, it says this, Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jericho. We are bookended in chapter 3, the beginning and the end, with two contrasts. First, we see the lack of wisdom in Solomon. He makes a very unwise move. He goes against the teaching of Scripture. He makes a marriage alliance with Egypt, something he was not supposed to do, clearly charged in Scripture. This is not a marker of a wise king. 
But by the time we get to verse 28, the last verse here in chapter uh, 3, we see Solomon act wisely. Listen, it says, And all Israel, everyone heard of the judgment that the king had rendered. And they stood in awe of the king, because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. Right before this is the story of the two women that come to Solomon arguing over whose baby. And if you remember, Solomon says, well, cut the baby in half. Give half to one, half to the other. And the real mother stood forward and said, no, let her have it. Solomon gave the baby back to the mother, and all the people are in awe of this wisdom that God has given Solomon. So what is the huge difference between verse 1 and verse 28? What has happened between, you know, Solomon clearly breaking the law, making an alliance with a foreign nation, and here Solomon being recognized with great wisdom in the whole nation. What happens in the middle? Let's begin in verse 5. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in the place of David, my father. Although I am but a child, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, Because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life, or riches, or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall rise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all of your days. And if you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commands, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Then he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings, and made feasts for all of his servants. 
what is this wisdom, this discerning mind that would change a man's life and really the direction of an entire nation? What is it? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. And then if we can grasp an understanding of what it is, we will talk about how on earth do we get it. Because wouldn't you want that? First, wisdom is a worldview. Wisdom is a worldview. It is the way we see things. It is the way we think about things. It is a lens in which we see, rationalize the world. It is the way we interpret the information. The Greek understanding of wisdom is to understand a concept or an idea. But the Hebrew understanding of wisdom goes beyond that. It actually means living skillfully or to be able to live with skill. It is both the understanding and the practice. So wisdom is not just something that's up here in your mind. It's also something that you implement, that you do, and you have the ability to both understand it and practice it. That's important for us to see. That's why when we did our study of Proverbs, we defined wisdom as living skillfully in light of who God is and what God has said. Living skillfully in light of who God is and what God has said. Wisdom is not something we arrive at. We're never going to arrive in our life of having full wisdom because wisdom is based in the truth of who God is and that's not something we fully wrap our minds around here in this world, in these bodies. Wisdom is something that is pursued. It is something we grow in. And so you may be sitting here and you may be thinking, you know, I'm a pretty wise guy. You've kind of heard this before. Listen, as Solomon introduces Proverbs in chapter 1, verse 5, he introduces its purpose, and yes, it is for the simple to gain wisdom, but he also says, let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. So even for those of us who are maturing in our faith, I want you to understand you have not arrived, right? We still are to grow in our wisdom, in our instruction. We are still to bring wise counsel around us that we might understand more and more who God is, what He said, and who He's called us to be. And so, to help us do that, I want to give you two types of wisdom, okay? Two types of wisdom to help you kind of frame an idea of what wisdom is. First, there's common wisdom. Common wisdom. I, I, I call it cultural wisdom. It's common, it's cultural, it is the ability to skillfully live within a given culture. The ability to skillfully live within a given culture. That means you understand the governing manners, the morals, the expectations, the preferences of a given culture. And you use that understanding of the culture of kind of the governing influence, of that majority, of that way of thinking, for successful living. And that successful living may be different depending on your culture. 
Because the thing about common wisdom is what is common wisdom in one culture may not necessarily be common wisdom in another culture. I have learned this firsthand teaching overseas. I'll tell you, I, I just now begin. The first thing I say, I will certainly do something that offends you. I am sorry, I do not know that I'm offending you. There are certain gestures that are obvious that if I made that gesture on this stage today, you would be offended, right? You go into another culture and those gestures are different. I remember one day I was sitting and I had my foot up on my knee and the sole of my shoe was pointing to another person and the look on their face. And the guy to the side of me leaned over and he says, you don't do that here. I didn't know that. I had no idea. I certainly didn't mean to offend them. But think about this for just a second. When we talk about common wisdom, we are understanding the way people think, the way people act within a given culture. And so what is common wisdom in one culture may not necessarily apply in another. I am afraid that most of what we think of wisdom is common wisdom. Most of what we think of wisdom is common wisdom. Whether that's the education of our kids, to the way we have funerals from, for our dead, listen, to the way we practice church. Most of the things we hold up, I think, as wise are, in fact, very cultural. They're very common. Now, listen, Common wisdom is not bad. It's not a bad thing. It's not something that we should, we should say, oh, man, that's not good. No, no, it, it's part of understanding people and the environment that you're around. Paul said, I become all things to reach all people, right? He understood. He walked around and he said, listen, I see you have a statue to the unknown God. He, he grasped the culture that he was in for a missional purpose. That common culture, though, is only as good as it parallels with the next kind of wisdom I want you to see. That is an absolute wisdom. There is an absolute wisdom. We'll call this a godly wisdom. This is the ability to live skillfully within the revelation of God in light of who God is. And so you understand God and His ways, His creation, His order, and you use this understanding for successful living in and beyond your culture. Absolute wisdom supersedes culture all of the time. Can I tell you, sometimes that absolute wisdom will fall in line with the culture and it will be very rewarding It will bring you prosperity. Those truths will work. Can I also tell you, sometimes it will be very countercultural, and it will make you live and say different than those that are around you, and it will isolate you. With much wisdom comes much sorrow. It will leave you lonely, and it will be incredibly costly. Because that absolute culture, or that absolute wisdom supersedes the culture around you. Proverbs 3, verse 5, Solomon says in a very famous verse, Trust in the Lord 
with all of your heart. And heart in the Old Testament is intellect. It's all you can mentally muster, all you can think through. It's, 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 it's not emotion, it's mind. All of your heart. And listen to the contrast. And do not, do not lean on your own understanding. There is a way that is around us that is common. And it would seem as if that is wisdom. We as a church must hold up the Word of God and understand that God's way does not just always line up with what is common and what just comes with time. There's this idea that wisdom is the product of age, that as you get old, you just get wise. And if it is common wisdom we are talking about, that would certainly make sense. But understand, if you're talking about an absolute wisdom that is based in who God is, who He's revealed Himself to be, I want you to know that is not a product of age. It's not that simple. Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes 4, chapter 4, verse 13, Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king. You can have age and you can have all the resources as if you were a king, but that doesn't guarantee you wisdom. And you can be young and you can be poor and you can have little, but you can have wisdom. Common wisdom is not bad, but it's only, it's only as eternally useful as it is connected to absolute wisdom. Let, let me take a few moments and get kind of personal with this as a church. We took a survey back in January, and one of the things that I am most excited about as a pastor, like I'm telling you, it t- it, I have to be honest. I have to really check myself from calling my other pastor friends and bragging on you, like for, for just completely selfish motive. I'll tell you, I don't really, I don't get too wrapped up in how many people are here. That's not me. I want to see us grow deeper and go out with the gospel. I read enough of scripture that I find guys like Jeremiah and Ezekiel that preach repentance and repentance and no one came. And that idea that if you're healthy, it grows, I believe that. But I don't know that that's necessarily numerical because I'm not ready to say that Jeremiah's ministry wasn't healthy. I'm just not ready to see it that way. But what I love to see is a group of people passionate in pursuit of wisdom and an understanding of who God is, taking that mission out and telling other people. And do you know that when we did that survey, we have 25%, it's 24 point something, 25% of our people are reading through the Bible for the first time in their life. I'm telling you, that makes me so excited. I, I love that. So as we walk through the story, you guys are reading through the Bible. I love that. That that just, man, that's so good. And some of you may be thinking, well, that's just our new Christians. I want you to understand that 85% of those who are reading through the Bible for the first time have been a Christian for longer than five years. But this is the first time they're reading through the Bible. 60%. Still the majority, longer than 15 years. Reading through the Bible for the first time, they've been a Christian for 15 years. It's the first time, listen, if that's you, don't feel bad. I'm telling you, I celebrate it. I'm not worried about that. I'm excited for what you're doing, but just stay with me for just a moment. 42% of those, almost half, have been at Tri-Cities for longer than three years. And that was back in January, so now three and a half. 
So half of those people, it's not like they haven't been in our church and they haven't been around, they've been here. But this is what I'm building up to. I want you to understand this. Of those people, half of them, 47 point some percent, half of them said, I feel I know the Bible well enough to communicate it in detail. Now, I want you to just pause for a moment, and I want you to try to critically think through that statement. I haven't read through it, but I know it and can communicate it with detail. Many of those said with great detail. I want you to imagine if I'm talking about a movie, and I'm telling you about a movie for just a minute. And I'm real excited. I'm telling you parts of the movie, and you say, man, when did you watch that movie? I say, oh, I've not watched it you would kind of scratch your head for just a moment. And what if I said, how do you know about it? Well, I've heard other people kind of talk about it. Do you understand kind of the holes in that thought? This is my point. I love my grandmother. My grandmother was a wise woman. My grandmother's not the word of God. She passed down many good things to me. She also passed down some things that were wrong too. Just because your grandmother told you doesn't make it the Word of God. Amen? Listen, I get it. I grew up in a Christian culture. I understand. But let us, let us be honest enough with ourselves to know the difference between what is common wisdom and what is absolute wisdom and how those things apply to our lives. And let us be honest enough to say this might be a struggle for us, for us. Second, wisdom is a treasure. Is it really that important? Sure, it's that important. Listen to some of these verses. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 4. Search for it as a hidden treasure. Proverbs 16, 16. How much better to get wisdom than gold? Proverbs 4, verse 6 says, Do not forsake her, talking about wisdom, and she will keep you. Love her, and she will guard you. Verse 8, prize her. And she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. This one's the one that gets a dreamer at times like me. Proverbs 8.11 says, For wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. You've heard me speak enough to know I'm fairly random, right? We can, we can acknowledge this. I'm telling you, I can imagine some crazy stuff. All that I can imagine does not even begin to compare with the value of wisdom. It is a treasure. And so if you believe God's word is true, here's my point. Wisdom should be at the top of our priority list. It should be the thing we long It should be the thing we seek after. It should be what we spend our lives trying to get at. Third, wisdom is founded in the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So what do you mean by the fear of the Lord? Do you mean like I'm afraid of Him? No, it means that you stand in awe, in reverence, in submission, creator 
and sustainer of all life. That you understand, as we sang in that doxology, every blessing we have comes from Him. Everything. That great, powerful God that is, that can sustain all that. When you look up in the sky and you see the stars and you think of the billions of light years, those must be away. And you think of all the planets and all of the stars and all that would go into that. And then you understand there is a God bigger than all of that. That every flame on every one of those stars is controlled by the sustaining work of God. And when you stand in front of someone like that, the awe, the reverence, the fear, it is the recognition of who God is. And so when we see that God and we see his love for us, what is left to fear? So what I want you to see is this this is not just a, a thought. Wisdom isn't just a thought process. It's a deep, faithful awe, recognition of who the Lord is that's worked out in disciplined action in our life. It is a powerful thing. Psalm 11, or Psalm 111, verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Right? Same. But listen, all those who practice it, have good understanding. His praise endures forever. Wisdom isn't just something in the mind, but through the grasp of that, we put it into action. It is both understood and practiced. You cannot get wisdom in any other way, church, than the recognition of who God is. That's absolute wisdom. That's a wisdom that sets apart bigger than our culture. That's the wisdom that changed Solomon's life. I read through this when we, um, in a sermon as we were going through the Proverbs series. Let me share it with you again. Wise people know God's revelation. They know the Bible. They study it. Foolish people excuse themselves from it. Wise people seek God's revelation like a treasure. The foolish are busy with their own treasures. Wise people focus on God's absolute mandates, and the foolish focus on their own priorities, their own culture. Wise people know the difference, and the foolish view them all the same. Wise people get wiser, while the foolish love being simple. You say, I don't, I don't want to be one of the foolish. I want to be one of the wise. I want to pursue that. How do we get that? I mean, Solomon just prayed to God, and there was a supernatural giftedness that came on Solomon's life. What does that mean for us, and what does that look like? Let me walk you through really quick how to get wisdom as our application from this morning. First, abide in Jesus. Abide in Jesus. Proverbs 2, verse 6, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Wisdom comes from God, from the revelation of who he is. There is no more perfect revelation than God himself taking human form in Jesus. This is why John introduces Jesus as the living word, the living revelation of God. God's perfect revelation is found in his son. This is why Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the truth. 
the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. We want to know the Father. We go through Jesus. We abide in him. In a connection back to Solomon, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 42, we find an account of the queen of the south who journeyed literally across the world to have an audience with the wisest man she'd ever heard of who could speak absolute wisdom to her. And here in judgment of a generation who would not seek wisdom like a treasure, Jesus says, the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Paul gets in on the same action, and he says in Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 2, the understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, verse 3, listen, in Jesus, in whom are hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All of that treasure, all of that goodness, all of that absolute wisdom hidden in Jesus. If we want wisdom, we must abide in him. We must be a Jesus follower. There's no beginning path to wisdom any other way. Second, we pursue wisdom. We pursue it. The beginning of wisdom is this, Proverbs 4, verse 7. Get it. Get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. He goes on in verse 8, and he says, prize her, embrace her. Proverbs 2, 4 If you seek it like silver and search for it as a hidden treasure. This holds on into the New Testament as well. Again, back to that picture of Jesus. He gives a parable in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then, in his joy... He's not sitting at church in the proclamation of the word of God... He's not doing his Bible study because he just has to. In his joy, listen, he goes and he sells everything. He sells all that he has and he buys that field. Why? Because it's so worth it to him. It's a treasure to him. Again, he goes on in verse 45, he says, The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. The wisdom of understanding who God is is worth everything that we have. Imagine for a moment a lottery ticket. And I held it up, and I told you it's worth half a billion dollars. I'm giving it to you. Half a billion dollars. I want to ask you for just a second. If I gave you half a billion dollars, would your week change? Where would you take it? What would you do with it? Where would your mind go? Would it change your life? That's just half a billion dollars. You say, that's just half a I understand. But it's just half a billion dollars. I'm talking about a treasure, listen, that is beyond anything you can imagine. I'm talking about that. Will it change your week? 
And so one of the things, I, I'll be honest, and, and it's kind of that legalism, grace battle, and freedoms. One of the things I really don't understand as a pastor is when we say we don't have time. I don't get that. When our time is filled with so many things that seem like a distraction, whether it's our 11-year-old sporting event, right? I mean, we can put 20 hours into 11-year-old, like, I don't know, pick something, soccer practice, and then say, oh, I just haven't had time. I don't get that. Not because I think it's wrong and sinful in itself, but because I'm telling you there is something greater for you and the kid. I'm not saying drop them out. I'm not saying they can't play, but I'm saying you better find the time to put absolute wisdom into their life. What about your work and your ambitions, your hobbies? When we begin to see all those things that we stack up as a distraction to something that meaningful, if you won half a billion dollars, you might live your life a little different this week. Think about that for just a moment. Do you believe God's word? Is it like that? Third, pray for wisdom. Pray for wisdom. In the account we read today in, in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 11, God said back to Solomon, because you have asked this, he was given wisdom. James in chapter 1, verse 5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, and who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Paul prayed for the wisdom of the churches again and again. I'll tell you, it is one of my most repetitive prayers for the people of Tri-Cities Baptist Church, for you, is that God would give us wisdom. Part of pursuing wisdom is seeking it from the one who gives it, from its source. We pray and we ask God and we plead for wisdom. Number four, make much of God. Make much of God. First, in your study and in your meditation. Proverbs 2, 6, the Lord gives wisdom. Again, from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. We understand even who Jesus is because we have an absolute written revelation from God. We have a Bible. It's how God speaks to us. And by the way, it is common wisdom in our culture to lean on mysticism. God spoke to you. How do you know? Man, my dog just acted different, and I promise. He barked, and in that bark, it just said, I love you, and I know that was from God. Now, the truth is, could God do that? He absolutely can. And if that happened, I am thankful that happened. Can I tell you something much more powerful? The Bible teaches you God loves you. It's much more powerful. It's much more engaging. And so understand that it is through the study of his word, the meditation on his word, that our life has changed. Psalm 119.15 says, I will meditate on your precepts, and I will fix my eyes on your way. Verse 27, same chapter, make me understand the way of your precepts and I will meditate on your wondrous works. I will fix my eyes and my mind on it and I will think about it through my day. I will wrestle with what it means for my life and I will, watch this, set aside some of those things I'm wrong in. I'll meditate on it. Solomon at the end of Ecclesiastes in a famous verse after his whole rant really through the book in verse 13 says the end of the matter is this, all has been heard, fear God and keep his commandments. Meditate on who God is. Make much of him in your study. I want to single some people out for just a minute. Men, listen to me. Men are the worst for this. Do not boast in being simple. 
Don't say, well, I don't like to read. Can I just tell you something? God gave you a book. He could have gave you a movie. He didn't. He gave you a book. God gave you a book. You say, I don't know how to read. Work like it's a treasure to learn. Do not. Listen, think of the hypocrisy. You stand in front of your kids and your family as the leader in their home, and you say, I have this treasure that is worth everything. It's right here, but I don't read it. I don't like to read. Give me a break. Understand, that is boasting and being simple. Long for wisdom. Make much of God in your worship. Proverbs 13, or 3, verse 13, blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. He goes on in verse 19, he says, the Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the depths broke open and the clouds dropped down with dew. It is by the wisdom of who God is that these things happen. So when we worship, we don't just worship because You like the style of something that is said or sung or you like the room or the building. We worship because of who God is. We worship making much of him. Fifth thing, last thing, and we're done. Make little of yourself. Make little of yourself. Don't lean on your own understanding like we talked before, but lean on God. Proverbs 14, verse 12, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Understand you don't bring anything to this. Your wisdom is nothing apart from God. There's a very practical charge given to us in Scripture about how to do this. In Psalm 90, verse 12, it says, So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. In other words, listen, dwell on your own mortality Dwell on your own dependence. Understand that death will come for every person in this room because of the consequence of sin in your life. And there's nothing you can do to change that. Solomon says your life is like a vapor. James says that, actually. Your life is like a vapor. It's here. It's gone. Here's my challenge of application for you as we close in prayer. I want to ask the band to come on up. It's simple. Is wisdom, the understanding and application of who God is, is it the treasure of your life? Is it the treasure of your life? If you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, it can't be. And the thing I would challenge you to do as we sing this song of response is right there where you sit, that you would pray to God, that you would confess your sin, and that you would claim the work of his son Jesus, who paid the penalty for that sin on a cross, as your atonement. That you would place faith in him. And for all of the rest of us, that we would honestly begin to critically assess and think is wisdom the priority in my life that God's word calls and sets it apart to be and if not change the way you study change the way you pray change the way you view God change the way you view yourself and 
leave today with a passion to know God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that during this response time, you wouldn't just leave us feeling like we need to do better. But Lord, that you would so reveal yourself to us that we would leave with the longing to know you more. Work this in our hearts and in our lives. We pray to you in the name of your son, Jesus.